In chapter 10 is literally divided into three sections. We've already looked at the first section. Now we are to embark on the last two. But time will not allow us the privilege to deal faithfully and correctly with the last section. So this morning, my plan, at least I trust by the power of the Holy Spirit, is that we will cover verses 19 to 25. Specifically focusing in on three commands that we are given in that passage. They're not difficult to find, but they are somewhat difficult to understand fully. And so that is my task this morning, trustfully, to engage ourselves in understanding fully what these three commands have to say. I'm going to read for you, if I may, some lyrics from a song of long gone by, but yet will help us to focus on this passage. The words go such as this. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? Just like me, they long to be close to you. Why do stars fall down from the sky every time you walk by? Just like me, they long to be close to you. That song has been renowned by the brother and sister group of the Carpenters way back before most of you even remember who the Carpenters are. No, they did not build houses. They sang love songs. But what is captured in those lyrics is the essence of nearness, the essence of love, both emotionally, physically, and in some ways, even spiritually. And just like me, they long to be close to you. Now, all the during this service, you're going to go, whoa, 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 close to you. That's how the song ends, by the way. I just want to. Leave you all know in case you young teenagers are wondering what in the kind of world is that song? Well, in fact, it is still listed as one of the top love songs of all time, just to let you know. But isn't that what we find in this first, second section, if you will, of the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25? It begins by that word, therefore. In other words, from chapter 4 all the way now to the end of chapter 10 and verse 18, the writer of Hebrews has been demonstrating, has been taking us on a journey to make sure that we understood the superiority of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, and all that he does and all that he is. Therefore, the word therefore. What is our response to that? So what? So Jesus is our great high priest. Yes, he is. 
But the writer of Hebrews begins again in verse 19 down to verse 21 by basically summarizing everything that he has just said. Let's just take a look at that quickly before we get to the three commands, can we? It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened uh, for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he has summarized virtually every aspect that he has mentioned in the previous verses of the previous chapters. Seeing that we have such a great high priest. Now I trust that you might remember a little bit about the sermon we spoke of where Jesus did not go into the Holy of Holies with his blood. He went in by his blood. He didn't take anything else with him other than presenting of himself. And not only that, but he virtually has opened the way for us that massive curtain that once separated mankind from the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, has been rent into from top to bottom. Jesus went in. And as that curtain was rent, so was his body, you might remember, as he was crucified upon a cross. And the dynamic of that, the writer of Hebrews tells us, now it's a new and living way full of life, full of possibilities of ministering, full of life of worshiping, full of life of, and I'll get this, living as well worth knowing Jesus Christ. And isn't that the main theme of the book of Hebrews? Don't forsake, don't turn around, don't leave, don't harden your heart, but be awakened to the fact that in Jesus Christ, we have this new and living way where our sins, it says, not only are forgiven, but our consciences are washed clean. Now, in response to that, the writer of Hebrews tells us three things. First of all, in verse 21, we are to, verse 22, excuse me, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Uh, that's not a new, by the way, that is not a new thought. For back in the previous chapters of the book of, if you will, Hebrews, in chapter 4 and verse 16, again it says, let us draw near to the throne of God, whereby we may find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Draw near. And then again in chapter 7 and verse 25, the comparison there is the blood of Jesus Christ allows us to draw near. Well, I don't know in those particular explanations if we've come to a full understanding of what it means to draw near. In fact, we could spend a whole sermon just on this one verse. I want to share with you this morning, how does one draw near? To God. Well, obviously, we draw near to God sincerely. We draw near to God 
confidently, and we draw near to God, cleansed, cleanly, if you will, if you need to have that analogy. But how does that come about? Well, that's our chore this morning, isn't it? How do we draw near? In order to draw near to God, first of all, you have to catch a vision of who he is. How long have I gone through my life knowing a God, knowing about him, knowing him personally, but yet never been stopping and taking the time to just say how lovely and wonderfully you are. I think for us to be able to draw a little bit of attention to who God is, we need to turn to another book. And, and that book is the book of Psalms. Turn to the 27th song. And, and, and just let, let's just read together these words. Well, we can't read together because we all have different translations. It, it'd be like someone walking in thinking we're speaking in tongues. But let me, you follow, just follow along. It says in chapter 20, the 27th song, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter of the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent and he will lift me high upon a rock. How wonderful it is to know that our God, our Savior, cares for us that much. That he wants us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's drawn near. Did you catch it as we were reading it? The psalmist is saying, I just want to get close to you. Just like me. They long to be close to you. Draw close. It's interesting that that kind of word that is translated in English comes in a different form, pretty much so, in the Greek. For it is there that it seems that the word draw almost means to have a noose or something around that which you wish to pull toward you. To get it near to you. It's not something that you would understand if you 
just say it's time for dinner and everybody draws near to the table. No, this is a desire and a longing to capture something and bring it to you. And that's what God wants. Maybe we need to capture his essence of who he is. We we're told that he is holy, but do we really understand what that means? We're told he's gracious, merciful. He's beyond our understanding. And maybe all of those words come into that play that we can't capture all that it is, but I will tell you this, that you begin to understand a little bit more of who he is by the time you spend close to him. And I'm here to tell you, it goes more beyond, it goes beyond more than just, and, and it's a good thing that we read the word of God. In fact, this is the only place you got that really highlights who he is. It, it, it contains more than, if you will, of, of even praying five minutes of grace before, before supper. It, it even goes beyond gathering together on a Sunday morning. This drawing near has with it that I can't spend another minute away from you. I, I, I don't want to. I want to draw that close to you, O oh Lord God. That close that I can almost sense your breath upon the back of my neck. Sense your hand upon the top of our heads. Sense your joy, even in the midst of storms. As the writer that we just read said, even though my enemies encamp around me, yet I will not fear, for you're there. That drawing close, though, is highlighted by three definitions. It says we are to draw close, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, you will see, that we are to draw near with a sincere heart or, or maybe a true heart. Now we have to struggle with that. What is the sense of that? A sincere heart. What is, the, what is the, even the purpose, the meaning of that? Well, the sincerity, sincerity has with it First of all, a desire. First of all, if you will, even a association. I'm sure you all write on the bottom of your cards or on the bottom of your letter, sincerely yours. Well, what does that mean? Because you are connecting with the individual that you are writing to. And when we have a sincere heart, or as it can be even translated, a, a true heart, that indicates our identification with the Savior. That through Jesus Christ, we've seen this before. That it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. We have the ability, we have the wonderful, we have the facility, if you will, to even come into this close relationship of Jesus Christ. To be known as a child of God. To realize the intimacy of that. It goes beyond the, that which you can even share with your own children. 
It goes far beyond that. Because we were once apart from God, and yet because of his great love for us, and by simple grace through faith, and entrusting what Jesus Christ has done for us, we come into that relationship that one time was insignificant to now it is very significant. It's that place of intimacy. It's the kind of place that you don't want to leave. We come with a true heart. It's not a fakeness. I, I really hope and trust that uh, when we, we come to worship, that it just doesn't become a traditional thing. It becomes a part of a desire. I got to be there. I got to hear from God. I got to worship. I got to sing to him. I've got to recognize of who he is and for all that he has done for me this past week and get all juiced up so I can face the coming week and understanding that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, it's a sincere heart. It's a desire, a longing of a desire. And, and you all know that right now we're desiring rain. We, 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 we think we need rain. And it looks like that God may very well give us that which we think we need. And then when he does, you realize that he also thought we needed it. And if we don't get it tomorrow, don't grumble. Realize that he could flood us out if he wanted to. But at the same time, his love and compassion and concern is such that he will give to us that which he senses we need. We think we need rain, and maybe we do. I would love more rain. Makes my grass grow. I know that's a curse for some of you, but for me, it's a blessing. And so here we are. We come, we draw near to God with a sincere heart, a desire to know him. No, birds aren't going to start singing. Stars are not going to fall. But there's one thing that we should be saying, just like me. They long to be close to you. A sincere heart. Now we come with confidence. Confidently we can come. That's not new. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, come with boldness. There, there we are. That's our word. That's our understanding. We may come boldly before the throne of God, the throne of grace. That's the desire. Come confidently. But notice, we come confidently with a, what kind of faith? A full understanding of faith. In fact, it really talks to us about draw near with a, a full assurance of faith with our hearts. Well, I must tell you, sometimes I have a little faith. Sometimes I have a little bit more faith. Sometimes I think I'm full of faith. But what is he talking about? What's the full assurance of faith? 
What is that? I, at times I find myself short on that end. How do you describe full assurance of faith? Well, that's when you have to go to individuals who are a lot smarter than what I am. And, and if I may, read for you. Out of a theologian that has long tasted the wonder and glory of heaven. You might be familiar with his name. Gresham Machen, his name is. John Gresham Machen. This is what he says about faith. He says, Even very imperfect and weak faith is sufficient for salvation. Salvation does not depend on the strength of one's faith. It depends upon Christ. And when you want assurance of salvation, think not about your faith, but the person who is the object of your faith. Faith is not a force that does something, but it is a channel by which something is received. When that channel is open, salvation comes in never to depart. It is a great mistake to suppose that Christians win through, win through to salvation because they maintain themselves by their own efforts in an attitude of faith. On the contrary, saving faith means putting one's trust once for all in Christ. He will never desert those who are committed to him, but will keep him safe both in this world and in that which is to come. Full assurance of faith may wonderfully be described, if you will, of just trusting in Jesus Christ, realizing that the avenue to God has been ultimately paved by grace and mercy. And all he says is, do you trust me? Faith. Oh, and when we get to chapter 11, it becomes a little bit more, if you will, clearly explained in different life situations. But even in that, we become foggy as to what it all means. But in chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For we must believe that he is who he is. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The full assurance of faith is literally coming to God, dwelling there, drawing near to him in an understanding that isn't Christ we're there. Not of our own efforts. It's not something that we can gin up every day. It's not something that we lose. But it's really something that we gain coming into the presence of our Savior, knowing full well that we can come confidently, not depending on who I am, but depending upon totally of what Jesus Christ is. Remember, never forget that he is our faithful high priest who has entered into the Holy of Holies by his blood, opening the way for us. That's our full assurance of faith, knowing that in Christ we can draw near to our God sincerely 
confidently. And lastly, cleanly. If you need to have a word with an L-Y at the end, cleanly. What do you mean by that, Pastor? You seem to be talking out the side of your mouth. Well, let's look what the text says. It says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is the significance of that? There are those theologians who feel that he's talking about here about baptism. I, I, I don't see that. I don't see that in the text. Because all these commands are in the first person and it's present. Doing it now. Right now. So what is he talking about? Oh, we need to go to another book, don't we? Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Forgive me, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry. Right town, wrong street. What we have in verse 25 explains what Hebrews 10, 22 is talking about. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. With the word. In case you missed it, with the word. The word of God. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Because we're members of his body. Becoming clean. How often do we even view the word of God as being that which washes us? Oh, there's times when I come to passages of scripture that after I've read it, I said, why did I read that? I don't like what that has to say. I don't want to obey that. I don't want to give that any credence in my life. But it's there for a purpose. It's there for a purpose that even Jesus Christ, as he cleanses us with his word. Do you remember his prayer in John chapter 17? Sanctify them by thy word, by thy truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus Christ, even in John chapter 14, as we mentioned yesterday, when he says in verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth. Everything that he says is true. 
And so when we come before and when we draw near to God, one of the most valuable ways is connecting with him and his word. Oh, go back. I'll give you a piece of homework. I know school is out, but here's your homework. Go back and just ponder over Psalm 27 again. As David writes, he literally is saying, I have no other place to go but you. I want to stay with you. Just like me. They long to be close to you. The closeness of God. The walking beside him can never be replaced by anything of this world. Because that relationship never ends. Others come and go. But that one never ends. Well, that's the first command and I've got nine minutes to finish the other two. And all God's people would say. Well, thank you for not saying amen. I appreciate that. In quick fashion, though, let me just highlight the other two commands. Back in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. We're able to grab hold of all that God has done for us, all that God has told us. And we don't need to waver. There is no such thing as maybe or could be or hope be in the word of God. For it is confidence. It is all about thus saith the Lord. Well, maybe he said, no, thus saith the Lord. Well, hopefully he's no, thus saith the Lord. We are to hold on to our hope. But what is our hope? Of course, there's the question, isn't it? What is our hope? I I trust all of you understand what our great hope is. It's not a hope so. It's our hope of one day being in glory with our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon from where we will never be thrown out, never be cast out. In fact, Jesus even said, again, as I record, if I remember from yesterday in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that a blessed thought? To be there, this great hope of knowing that in my mansion, It's covered with grass that needs to be mowed every day. Personally created just for me. Well, some of you are saying that, Pastor, you got five heads. But if Jesus is going to be making it for me, and if he wants to style it just for me, I can think of no better thing. Maybe yours would be a little bit different. Maybe it would be a hammock just swinging in the breeze. Maybe it would be flower beds that you do have to tend all time year, Ms. Audrey. Maybe, I don't know. 
But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. Personally made. That's our great hope, isn't it? What hope is there in this world today that can even foreshadow or even shadow over that great hope of knowing one day to be with Jesus Christ and to behold a city, just one city, that is 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, and 1,400 miles high, the New Jerusalem. Oh, we can't even begin to comprehend that. But that's what we get to see. That's our great hope. And there's nothing in this world that can diminish that. Seeing face to face with Jesus. Oh, I can't wait. And you hang on to that without wavering. Nothing can take that away from us. In fact, Jesus even said, no one can pluck you from my hand. We're secure. That's our great hope. And then lastly, and the last command is again, it says, let us. I hope, you've, I hope you have noticed the fact that each one of these commands begins with let us. It means all of us. And it, be, and it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Oh, to be encouraged. I love to hear your testimonies. I love to hear what God is doing in your life. Because that tells me that God is working in people's lives and hearts. But in order for that to happen, he goes on, the writer Hebrews says, and don't forsake getting together. Some of the best places to describe the goodness of God, wouldn't you say, would be around a nice campfire. Maybe having some marshmallows, a little bit of chocolate, maybe some graham crackers. You know what I'm talking about. But when you're there, you just begin to talk about the wonder of the Savior. Now, I hope you've caught this. Chapter 10, verse 22. Faith. Verse 23. Hope. Verse 24. Love. That should all of a sudden transform your mind to 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. And isn't that what causes us to draw near to God? Isn't that what causes us to hold to our hope unswervingly? And isn't it that that causes us to lift one another in the wonder and the glory of our Savior? Oh, these three commands are fantastic. They're glorious in all that they are. Don't lose sight of them, dear people. Because of all that Jesus has done for us, these are the least that we can do. Can we pray together? It is again with joy, our great Lord and Savior, that we come before you recognizing that because of all that you've done for us, you've given us three simple commands. Draw near. Don't lose hope. And love one another. 
I can think of no greater description to be part of the life of the family of a church as we minister together, worship together, serve together, meet together, and learn together. No greater description than that. And may that be, O oh Lord God, our desire. And we'll praise you in your name. Amen.